Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, In this episode, we're going to meet uh, the co-founder of a pretty incredible charity uh, that operates uh, here in Perth and in Australia. It's called Angel Hands, and it helps people uh, who are probably experiencing the worst time of their lives, people who have suffered extreme trauma. Uh, It's a position that none of us ever, ever want to be in, uh, but sure do need help uh, if we are ever unfortunate enough to find ourselves uh, in that time of need. It's extraordinary work and no doubt it's very heavy work, uh, heavy on the soul for those who are really at the coalface, but so important at the same time. Uh, So it's with great pleasure I say uh, hello and welcome to the co-founder of Angel Hands, John Burrell. Hello, John. Hi, Tim. How are you? Thanks very much. I'm good, yes. Do people ask you how you are along the way? They do. I've got a couple of very key people in my life who who are checking on me regularly. So, yes, that that happens. I'm sort of bracing myself for a pretty intense and at times heavy chat over this next uh, hour or so. Um, You probably live in that space 24-7. That must be hard. It's hard on anyone. Okay, well, let's try and keep it a bit light in some yeah. ways then. But the uh, the truth is I actually am not living in it 100% of my time. Yeah. I actually uh, do have to earn a living. Mm. And so I'm an IT consultant, um, yeah. self-employed and working from home and, and a couple of specialised areas. But uh, Angel people, Hands... People in different kinds of... People <laughs> needing help. Yes, yeah. I'm afraid uh, I've got a big sign on my yeah. forehead which says... You're a helper. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a helper. I'm a carer. And, uh, yes, that's exactly what caused me to uh, start off and co-found yeah. Angel Hands. Well, let's talk ago. about Angel Hands. Okay. How did, it, how did it come about? All right. Well, I'll go back to the initial uh, situation which uh, brought about the meeting between Anne o- O'Neill and myself. And it was uh, Anne O'Neill, obviously, Dr. Anne O'Neill these mm. days, AO as well. She's been awarded uh, many things over the years, but last year saw uh, Office of the Order of Australia uh, for her work in this field. Uh, But when I met her, she was just simply Anne O'Neill, and she was the victim of a terrible crime where her de facto husband had shot and killed their two children in the bed beside her when they were fast asleep and attempted to kill her, shot her leg off because instinctively uh, she lifted her legs up and so it took her leg off and uh, then put the gun to his own head and, uh, and shot himself. She ended up in hospital, naturally, and it was there uh, that she met my wife, uh, who was a cancer sufferer, uh, who happened to be in hospital at the same time. And they, it was basically two days after Anne's incident, and they just headed off, became very good friends in hospital, so the next time I'm in visiting, of course, I, I was introduced to Anne and uh, we got on really well. And so from that point on, as, as uh, Anne came out of hospital, my wife had come out already and uh, Anne came out of hospital and we just formed a good friendship and, and bond and that has carried on till today yeah. with Anne and I. Unfortunately, my wife 
did pass away from cancer in 1998. So 1999, the week before Christmas, my neighbour killed his estranged wife. Uh, shot her in the house beside me. Wow. Uh, whilst I was babysitting one of her children. And uh, the synergy was, was really good because, you know, my kids had lost their mother uh, 18 months or so previously. And although obviously in a totally different circumstance, but uh, I ended up looking after both of the children of this couple. How, how old were the kids at They this were time? Uh, three and six, I wow. think. Wow. Yeah. yeah. My kids were, were um, a little bit older than them. Actually, I, my kids straddled these two. Mm. And uh, so I had to look after them from the, the, the very night um, of the, the murder and break the news to them myself the next day that... Uh, their mother was not going to be coming home, and by the way, you're also not going to see your father again, uh, which was quite uh, quite a traumatic thing. I had a, a advice from the, the police on, on, yes, it's best for me to do it, uh, mm. being somebody who knows these kids extremely well. my the, the one who was, the kid who was sleeping over at my place was the first time he'd ever slept away from his mother. You know, it was it was a, a terrible circumstance for these these poor children. And uh, so the lass who was killed was a, a New Zealander. Yeah. And her brother and her father flew over immediately from New Zealand. And in the week of Christmas, leading up to Christmas, 1999, they cleared out that house of every single possession that was in there, prepared it and sold it. And the reason being they sold everything to yep. raise some funds to give to the deceased's sister to assist her in raising the kids. So the kids ended up being taken back to New Zealand and being cared for by, by her sister. And, uh, yeah, it was the – my place was, was uh, home base headquarters because I, I, being a computer person, I had the internet, I had mm. fax machine, I had all these things that we needed to be able to, to transact the, the sale and, and everything else that was going on. So uh, we finally got uh, – one of the, the adults and one of the children on a flight on uh, Christmas Eve mm-hmm. and the uh, other two on a flight at 6am on Christmas Day to get them back, back home. So in, in a week, we managed a lot. It's a week that also pretty much destroyed me. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, it, it took me a good week or so of uh, being collapsed in bed, uh, attending to the essentials of my own children's needs. I mean, they were only... Uh, I think uh, the youngest had turned four at that point, and so four and nine. Yeah, I managed to make it through a week or so, uh, recuperated my strength and energy, and uh, as soon as I could, I got on the phone to my friend Anne O'Neill and said, we need to get together and have a chat because Mm. what I've just been through is not a good thing that anybody else in the same situation uh, is going to be struggling. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm lucky I'm, I'm of strong character or something. I don't know what it is, but I was able to cope with it. So it was difficult. And uh, so we got together, sat down over our kitchen table, uh, my kitchen table, and uh, drew up the idea of angel hands. 
which is... Well, the, tell us what you do. Okay. Well, initially we started off with a very narrow focus, and that was secondary victims of homicide, people yep. who have been left behind in the event of a murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, the immediate family, uh, loved ones, uh, close friends, etc. They're the ones who suffer most when there's a murder, mm. and they need encouragement and support to be able to to make it through life. They're part of the the two-thirds of people in the world who will suffer trauma of some form in their lives. And there's all sorts of types of trauma. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. You know, when you talk about extreme trauma, I mean, not to sort of become mathematical or or cold and clinical about it, but what do you classify necessarily as extreme trauma? Well, basically, it was the the secondary victims of of homicide. Mm. Uh, But then we realised... For a start, that getting funding for such a narrow niche market was also very difficult. Yeah. So we realised that what we're in fact helping people with is dealing with trauma, and you know we hadn't thought of it as that initially. It was just uh, simply when you're in this sort of situation, you need help. You can't make your own dinner sometimes. You know, it's just you're you're yeah. not in total control of, of your faculties. You can't mm. function. And so any little piece of assistance that can be provided to somebody in that situation is is of benefit. Yeah. So, yeah, when we realise that, in fact, it's trauma that we're we're, uh, helping people with, we were able to diversify a little bit and expand that that reach. So that incorporated then uh, victims of domestic violence. And so there's another often very extreme form of, of trauma. Uh, they're, they're the two biggest sort of severest, <laughs> most severe uh, forms of trauma. But you know, we have people who suffer depression, uh, people who have suffered from alcohol abuse uh, in their family. If they're being raised by an alcoholic parent or parents, then obviously that has a, a, a rub-off effect on, on the children. So that's another form of trauma. And that's one where there's not one specific incident that one can say, oh, that, that's what caused the trauma. Mm. It's an ongoing small a number of events over sometimes many years that are also considered trauma in this day and age. We've come to realise, not just us, but uh, scientifically people around the world have, have analysed uh, victims of, of trauma, people suffering from symptoms which they couldn't even put a finger on as mm. to what the cause was. So we have some people, they are hypervigilant, for example, and uh, that's another sign of, of having suffered trauma. Uh, we have people with PTSD, of course. Uh, we have people who are abusing substances. Um, they're not the severe trauma as such. They're, they're definitely the one that we feel as severe trauma yeah. as, as where there's been absolute violence. Yeah. You know, we've had neighbours beating up their neighbour, um, for example, just over a, a fence dispute or, or mm. whatever. And the poor neighbour, you know, 64-year-old bloke gets clocked in the head and suffers uh, brain injuries. So you know, what can you do about that uh, except support him and his family? Yeah. Uh, he didn't deserve it. And uh, you've got to provide that help. Uh, John, we need to take a breath uh, and a break. Yep. Um, So let's do that. After that, um, keen to hear more about just what actually Angel Hands does for people, for that uh, huge number of people who unfortunately do find themselves in that position where they need your help. So we'll get into that in more detail right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Uh, John Burrell is our guest. We'll be back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. 
You're listening to inspiring stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Everyone has a story to tell. This one is brought to you by Bower and O'Day. The story in this episode of John Burrell, who, uh, along with his good friend, Dr Anne O'Neill, uh, formed an incredible charity called Angel Hands about uh, 20 years ago. Uh, John, tell me, people reach out to, to Angel Hands. What can you actually do for them? What sort of assistance do you provide? Okay, well, we have uh, basically three major ways that we provide support to people. We have people who we train up on how to, to deal with uh, this, these sorts of events and, and other people's lives. Many of them, well, for a start, actually, I'll go back. We operate with volunteers yep. primarily. Yeah. And we get a lot of people volunteering. They must be an amazing bunch of people. Oh, just abs- before absolutely. we move on from that point, absolutely. they must be incredibly selfless people. We call anybody who works with us angels. Yeah. Um, you know, angel hands. Uh, our, our people are angels. And in particular, the people who do talk and, and assist, uh, talk to and assist people who have suffered trauma, they're called TRAs, trauma recovery angels. And so, yes, they are made up of a huge variety of people, people who have suffered traumas themselves, but also over the last, must be six or seven years, eight, eight, maybe even 10, we've been getting people who are doing psychology at university, Mm. um, coming out and doing practical uh, experience work with us and working with uh, the trauma sufferers. Yeah. So we've got some educated people, um, as in, you know, psychologists have got many skills anyway in, in how to, to get to uh, the background behind an event uh, or, or circumstances, etc. So it's been very helpful to the organisation. And so what we do is we, we actually do have one-on-one type um, mm. counselling and that, that's the mainstay of, of what we do. Yeah. Um, we also have, uh, what are called retreat weekends where we take people away and absolutely pamper them for the entire weekend. These people who have suffered major trauma, uh, often coming from environments where they've had a, a narcissistic partner, uh, et cetera, they they've been put in their place by a nasty person. Mm. And so they feel... Uh, small, they feel belittled, they, they, they have got a, a very poor self-esteem. And so what we do with the retreat weekends is we show them, no, you are important. You are the ultimate important person here this weekend. And we take you know, six people at a time away and we have a team of, of 10 or 12 people working over that weekend. Beautiful uh, environment. We, we uh, use facilities that are around Perth and take them away into the country typically and give them a weekend of absolute relaxation and pampering. And by that, I mean, if somebody wants a cup of coffee, they don't get up and get it. Somebody delivers it to them. Mm. Uh, It it is, you know, 100%. They are the focus. As part of the weekend, there are uh, sessions around the table with everybody in, in a group. Uh, just working through uh, what emotions people are feeling and and you know how that is impacting them and their lives, 
And uh, we also have uh, an excellent team of, of people who volunteer with particular skills, such as massage or Reiki and you know, all these other, other type of um, mechanisms that can be used to relax people and, and uh, put them at ease in, in the world. Mm. So uh, that's a very, very um, positive uh, outcome for, for people after that sort of weekend. It, it's one of our most successful activities, yeah. actually, and uh, everybody who who gets to go away on one of those um, as as a wouldn't want that weekend to end. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's right. Yeah, um, but even for all the people who who are volunteering to to help out over that weekend get so much out of it because yeah. uh, it, it's fantastic when you when you see somebody. I've seen a woman who came in. Five foot two, uh, hunched over, middle aged, fifty four or something. Uh, she had some support and, and encouragement, and she walked out. She, I swear, she was five foot six when yeah. she left. Yeah, she stood tall, and she had her head up. She was proud. She was happy. It makes a world of difference to their approach to life from mm. that point on. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's the second sort of uh, method that we, we provide support. And thirdly, we, we do have in-house uh, group type therapy um, where we sit down with people and yeah. and uh, en masse and uh, cover all, all manner of topics. And and if, and if not for organisations like yours, what would people do if they didn't have, you know, family or friends to, to call upon? Yes. What, what would they do? Where would they... <laughs> What sort of what what crack would they fall through in the you know more government based systems that we have? Well, uh, for a start, um, a lot of PTSD is diagnosed as as a mental uh, health issue, mm. um, which is interesting because, uh, funnily enough, the mental health department uh, doesn't provide funding to us to provide support for PTSD, and yet they refer people to us. <laughs> they refer people to <laughs> refer you, but they don't help it. you financially. Correct. Right. Yes. We'll get right. back to that okay. a little bit later. But um, people who have uh, um, not been able to get any support uh, do often end up in jail, for example, um, because their behaviour, they, they act out. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and I'm talking now about coming from, from uh, homes where there's violence and uh, alcoholism, etc. Um, they the way that they tackle their lives when they have children is is often a, a, obviously a mirror image of what they've learned growing up. So it, it's it has an ongoing impact on people. So yeah, people do carry on through life, not realizing necessarily that how affected they are, and not seeking support. Mm. And the impact of that absolutely shows up uh, in. in their dealings with people from that point on. Uh, so uh, apart from that, some people actually just turn to drug abuse. You know, they, they drown their sorrows and uh, escape escapism is a, is a big part of, of a lot of people who don't seek help or, yeah. and don't get the help that they need. Yeah. For you personally, John, I, I sort of talked at the start about what a, I didn't want to describe it necessarily as a burden on you, but it's a heavy load, heavy emotional load um, for you. Having said that, now that we've spoken more about it, I can see the incredible sense of satisfaction and reward that you would get uh, from it as well. But how do you how do you look after you? <laughs> um, well, funnily enough, after your last guest, I I, uh, I sail as a hobby, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> which is a, is a great relaxation. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, as, as I said earlier too, I've got uh, a, a good, very 
close relationship with with two special people, my partner, yep, uh, in life, and Anne, and and mm. there's others as well, and I can't deny that. My own children are, are like my closest friends, and uh, they're an amazing support. Uh, um, the other the other thing is that it is. I've, I've, for example, have kept in touch with the kids who, who were uh, affected by the murder yeah, in Yeah, I wanted to ask you about them. I mean, that sort of set you on this path. Yes. They were very young at the time. Probably, you know, I don't remember what, much of what I did. The people that I met when I'm three or six years old. Yeah. Um, how have you maintained a, a bond with them? I have uh, kept in touch with them uh, initially primarily through their parents yeah. or through, through sorry through the sister who was raising them yeah. and and the uh, um, their uncle and uh, as I say they're back in New Zealand uh, funnily enough they're, they're, they're from a family that does a lot of sailing <laughs> Just there you go <laughs> common, common factor here. yeah, yeah. Uh, so the uh, I've kept in touch over the years and and uh, now am Facebook friends with them yeah. and uh, some great news. One of them's just had a, had a baby with his partner, and uh, you know, it's really pleasing. But whenever I visit New Zealand, I uh, endeavour to catch up with them and, and yeah. see how they're going, and have done that for the last 20 years. Because sharing, I suppose, um, you know, a pretty traumatic past with them, you, know, you probably don't want it, that to be the defining feature of it, do you? So how do you, I mean, do you talk about... No. How you came to be so close and have this unique bond in the first place, or do you, is it just sort of unspoken, unsaid? You, it's unspoken. You, you, yeah. it, it's something which uh, there's no need to, to to go back there as such. Yeah. Nowadays, these these guys have grown up in in a fantastic environment. Their their family have been just mm. absolutely amazing. Yeah, and uh, so they've they've grown up to be absolutely delightful uh, young men. Yeah, and uh, the past does not paint them in any way yeah. uh, or tarnish them or whatever yeah. you might like to call it. So, uh, yeah, it's been great to be able to keep in touch with them and, and that's a very positive yeah. uh, feedback mechanism for me. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, of course. You've made a difference mm. uh, and continue to do so. Uh, John, we need to take a break. After we take a break, I, I want to ask you, So, I suppose on behalf of people who are not trained uh, in talking to people who are in those really dark moments? Because I think a lot of people find it very confronting if they don't necessarily have the training or the skills to communicate with someone um, who has experienced particularly a very sudden trauma. And it can be quite a an alienating experience, can't it? Not Absolutely. for the person who's experiencing it, but for the person who wants to reach out but perhaps doesn't know what to say or how to go about it. So I'm yes. keen to get your thoughts right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories, co-founder of Angel Hands. John Burrell is our special guest in, ep- in this episode. We'll hear more of his story right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest uh, is the co-founder of charity Angel Hands, which uh, reaches out and helps people uh, who are often going through uh, the toughest time uh, and a fight uh, in their in their lives, in their survival. Um, John, I must say, in, in my line of work, sometimes I, you know, well, often uh, I have to speak to people who are in that terrible moment. They've just experienced something that um, they didn't see coming, perhaps, um, is is harrowing uh, and they're often in shock or they're angry or they're confused or they're, in, you know, whatever it is, they're experiencing some uh, extreme emotion and it's sometimes uh, it's confronting, I mm-hmm. must say, when you're speaking 
uh, to them uh, for people who don't ever really encounter people in that time of need. It's it's totally intimidating. They have no idea what to say, uh, how to approach them. I mean, there they might be people that they've known for 20 years or grown up with, you know, but yes, suddenly yes. there's this barrier between you and you don't know what to say without saying the wrong thing or making them feel worse. Uh, what general tips can you give to people uh, to overcome that and to and to be a support? Okay, uh, that's a very true uh, point. And the first thing that you have to do is listen uh, yep. and just. You, but even you're... even before that, how do you how do you start the conversation? Uh, uh, well. Obviously, when there's been a, an incident where which is traumatic, uh, if the, if your relationship is such that you would go and hug them, then do go and hug them. Yeah. Um, you know, just say, "I'm so sorry to hear what's happened." Uh, it, it's the empathy. It, not everybody has empathy either, by the way. Mm. <laughs> so. Not everybody can do this and, and don't beat yourself up if you're one of those people who just cannot because not everybody can. Uh, but to, to show empathy and, and to uh, be able to express that to somebody who's the secondary victim of homicide or the victim of domestic violence, uh, if, if a hug is appropriate, then that's a, a fantastic way uh, to initiate it. Just walk up and say, I'm so sorry, give me a hug. Yeah, and I swear, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, that person's going to melt into you, and uh, you'll end up supporting them. Yeah. So it's something which, yeah, it's it's not easy the first time. It's not easy the hundredth time. Mm. Um, and it's it is something you just have to feel the um, emotion at the time, and and try and. Work within that. Uh, it it there's no hard to find rules. Yeah. Um, how to support somebody who's been through something like that? Uh, little things like care packages, dropping off uh, a, a little bottle of coffee and some tea bags and and a, a pint of milk it might sound stupid, but to people who have been through an experience, a, a traumatic experience. They often find it difficult to leave the house and go to the shop and, and get the necessities. Uh, so, you know, little things like that can make a huge difference. Just something thoughtful. Just something thoughtful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cooking a, a meal and delivering it, um, leaving it at the doorstep. You don't even have to go in. Uh, just pop a note on it, knock on the door, run. <laughs> but they'll get a pleasant surprise when they open the door and, and uh, find a meal there and a, a note from you and, and they'll know that, that you're there when they are in a position and ready to call and talk to you. So, yeah. you know, that's a, an important uh, option as well. Yeah. There's been so much focus on mental health through COVID, perhaps, you know, not necessarily talked about in the right way um, in terms of government funds being funneled <laughs> towards it. Um, yes. But people have very commonly, you know, talked about um, the pressures on the mental health system uh, that have come about through COVID. So it seems... It's absolutely counterintuitive that yep. you might be in such strife. It's absolutely exacerbated. Yeah, uh, the, the the mental health um, of many many people. So, are you busier than ever? We were busy going into the lockdown in 2020, but then that cut off our our major uh, methods of of service delivery, being person to person, because Zoom yeah. calls don't just no, they, they just don't, don't cut in it. the same way. No, yeah. so. Um, that uh, was obviously a really major setback. In terms of funding, 
We have never had permanent ongoing funding at all from the government. It is quite frustrating when uh, most of the government departments that, that might uh, in some way have a relationship with uh, trauma sufferers uh, refer people to us, and it still happens. In the last month, I've had, had calls from government departments about wanting to refer somebody to us to be supported, and I said, well... Which is a compliment on one hand, <laughs> but also incredibly frustrating, I imagine. Incredibly frustrating, and and I do want to uh, to guilt some of these government departments into actually fronting up with some funds. Yeah. If, if they're going to refer to us, then, then obviously you recognise that we do a very good job and have done for 20 years. And they take you for granted now. And, and yeah, taken for granted. We've never had the funding. It's always been a struggle and always been driven by our volunteer base uh, in raising funds. Uh, plus, like Lottery West has been wonderful. Uh, we, we have had grants from them over the years for, for multiple things, but it's not an ongoing organisational type funding. Mm. Um, we have provided... Uh, training on our methodologies and, and, and our approaches when we didn't quite finish that question earlier about uh, people that we have as volunteers providing mm. support. Um, basically, uh, they do get trained up, uh, the people that we take in to, to be volunteers and go and support people. They do get trained up by um, primarily Anne. Uh, she has got so many skills and, and uh, is, is absolutely specialised in this field. Uh, she went on after her incident uh, to uh, get a degree, a diploma in, in, um, in uh, whatever it's called. <laughs> I can't remember the, the actual term oh, for it. Oh, she's going to be She's going to be the most upset, you. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so many little yeah. specialisations special these days. Yes. That's, um, yeah, related to, to, to what you guys do. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, she and, and also another key staff uh, member that we did have uh, on board uh, would do the training of these people and also provide that same sort of training to organisations like the uh, WA Police Force Training Academy. Um, they We have trained various cohorts of, of uh, new police moving through the ranks there on how to be trauma-informed in an incident that they are going to come up against in the field. Yep. We've trained people who are um, other organisations that, that do kind of work in, in this trauma support field, uh, organisations that provide uh, clothing and, and food and things to homeless people um, because I, I know there's a large proportion of them have suffered trauma in their lives, for example, so they need to know as well. And so we've been been quite up, uh, out in the open about what we do and how we do it with, with certain organisations. Funnily enough, some of those organisations have been funded to provide this sort of support. <laughs> so why have you guys been left off that list? Because we're, we're, we're a, a little organisation, um, but we achieve a lot. And that is just not something that they uh, like to fund. The government like to fund big organisations that they can say, here's $2 million, you know, go for it. Um, we don't want anywhere near that amount of money. Um, okay, I'd take it if it was given to me, put it that way. <laughs> but we don't need that much um, to, to do it. The cost of our service delivery to uh, the, our um, clients uh, is a lot less uh, in a magnitude of, of hundredfold less yep. than what the cost of delivery is in these large organisations, which mm. are top heavy with management structure and, and so on and so forth, people getting salaries, 
paid board members. You know, we're totally voluntary in that regard. We've had three people in our entire history who have received money for working at Angel Hands. Three. Three. In, in that entire time. In 20 odd years. Yes. Wow. And that's only been you know, partial uh, yeah. amounts of money um, to cover small, certain aspects of yep. a particular um, fund uh, uh, achieved for a particular purpose. You know, yep. you, you, you can say, okay, well, of this, to, to, to achieve this uh, grant application to provide service in this area, there needs to be an administrative portion for keeping the organisation running. So we, we are able to nab a few little dollars here and there to uh, to mm. actually be able to pay some people. Yeah. But, uh, for example, 2018, there was a, a dreadful incident down in Osmington. Uh, grandfather, yes. three three generations of, of family shot and killed. Shocking. Who did they call? Angel Hands. Who went and uh, counselled the entire town? Dr. Ann O'Neill. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it is. It's ridiculous. We, we mm. have... have the recognition by virtue of their calling upon us, and yet they will not provide ongoing funding. It seems extraordinary to me. Yeah. Um, hold that frustration because we'll channel a bit more of it right after we take a break, John, uh, and hear more about um, how you've managed to uh, fall off the radar when it comes to uh, to government grants and, and whatnot. So because it, f- it feels like, uh, you know, when COVID does peak and pass, there's going to be this wave of people who found themselves under incredible pressure in the last couple of years who are going to need the services that Angel Hands and others do Absolutely. provide. So it's, it feels like it's coming. Mm. So uh, we'll get into uh, your survival more after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. John Burrell is our special guest. Back with more after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. We are hearing the story of John Burrell, who about 20-odd years ago uh, co-founded a charity called Angel Hands, along with uh, Dr Anne O'Neill. Uh, they have a shared history uh, of both experiencing uh, their own uh, separate but extreme and harrowing trauma uh, and have decided to, to put a lot of their time and energies uh, into helping other people who unfortunately find themselves uh, in a similar predicament. Uh, John, have you got any idea how many people you have managed to help over the years that you've existed? Over those years, it uh, it doesn't sound like a lot, but 2,000 mm. odd. Um, so it's, uh, it's only, I'd say, 100 per year. Yeah. Uh, over 20 years. But when you, you I mean, it's not like a like an IT customer, is it? You, you come in and you, you know... No, it's, it's some of them... Fix, are, a, fix a glitch and they're on their way. These are people you have to invest in. Ongoing support until yeah. they actually reach that point of being able to thrive in the community because yeah. that's that's what we are trying to achieve with them and help them get to that point. So is your ultimate goal basically to get them to the point where they no longer need you? Absolutely. Yeah. When we started Angel Hands, Anne and I realised that uh, it's not something that anybody would wish existed or needed to exist. Uh, But the reality is, the harsh reality of this world is that that it it is a necessity to uh, uh, provide a a reality that people are being traumatised. For example, there's roughly 35,000 acts of violence reported to the WA police each year. 
And of those, uh, at least 85% of them suffer traumas. Yeah. So there's, there's people constantly coming into that, that category of uh, being traumatised. And then we've got that breakdown of 30% will, a third of them will, will uh, actually be able to cope with it. A third of them will get some immediate support and it, it's all they'll need. But the remaining third are going to need some ongoing support. Yeah. And so we've been providing that. And key thing here too, zero cost. Yeah, and uh, whereas a lot of the other organisations out there that that do purport to provide similar um, care and support uh, do do it for fees, mm. and uh, the problem with that is, is for example, now NDIS do not recognise trauma as a disability. So although it, you know, it's not, a, it's debilitating. It's debilitating in a way. Absolutely. So uh, I'd like to try and get them to to. Uh, classify it and, and uh, incorporate that so that we might be able to work under that umbrella. Uh, the Mental Health Foundation don't seem to uh, actually categorise uh, trauma as a, a mental health condition either. And uh, they don't directly fund mental health, to my knowledge. Mm. And uh, certainly there's been a lot of effort gone into it. We have had, at the same time, and it's saying that I will give them a pat on the back, they have assisted us with some funding at various times for certain things. But it's that regular ongoing funding that we need and that's that's what we're seeking at the moment. I think people generally have this uh, tendency to avoid, you know, stepping into a world of trauma if they don't have to. If if it's not on their doorstep, then they're uh, almost happy to live in this world of of ignorance, blissful ignorance. Uh, It sounds like that approach um, goes all the way. Uh, to the top levels of government. Yes, yes, it does. I mean, we we have uh, referrals throughout the years from the uh, Department of Communities, Mental Health, Police, Child Protection, Department of Justice, uh, as well as many other not-for-profit counselling services, doctors, psychiatrists, uh, psychologists, women's refuges, Mm. uh, a lot of them, community legal services, and so, you know, the, the community, the general community understands that there is a need. They know that we provide a, a, a service in that particular area, uh, but the difficulty is just getting the funding from the government to be able to continue to provide it. Yeah. Do you have a, do you find it hard to maintain a, a, a positive outlook on the world around <laughs> you, John? Uh, I mean, I suppose when you bury, uh, burrow down into people's um, issues, you find that people are capable of doing really extreme and horrible things to their fellow man. Um, does it does it make it difficult sometimes for you to, I suppose, see the light in the world? The good news for me is that I'm an optimist. Yeah. And, and so I very rarely have had uh, the negativity of, of this environment affect me. And I, I touch wood that I, I stay like that. It's mm. it's it's something which uh, is a skill or whatever you might want to call it. But I just happen to have, and and uh, so no, it doesn't um, bother me. The, like I did get very upset late last year uh, when I had word given to me that Angel Hands was to be closed down. Yeah, and it was because of the lack of funding, and you know, COVID had caused some impact as well. But uh, at that point, it didn't upset me. It motivated me again. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when I formed a new board and we have 
one absolute major task to start with, and that is to raise some funds so that we can get back to service delivery. I've still got people who were providing service who are keen as anything to get back and continue to do so. So you know, we've got the as soon as we've got the funding to actually set up again, we'll be away laughing and we yep. can do it. Yep. And in fact, we've got plans to spread to all of WA. How are you going to do that? That's the, <laughs> that's the million dollar okay, question or the, perhaps, you know, not even quite the million dollar question, but an important one. How okay. are you going to do it? Okay. Well, one of the, the key first things that we are doing is something which actually in its own rights is very interesting. I last year met up with somebody who is a, or was a career criminal. 30-year-old young man yeah, uh, who has spent a total of five and a half years in jail for multiple crimes, including armed robbery, grievous bodily harm, and he has turned his life around. He is quite remarkable. Uh, he's out there counselling young at-risk kids uh, in the community and at the Pat Giles Centre and, and uh, you know, big up hands up for that. He's doing really well. But he's also decided to start a commercial business and put a 20% of his uh, profits towards not-for-profit organisations, uh, Angel Hands being the initial one. But on top of that, he's also uh, actually doing a an event. He's going to row for 100 kilometres on a rowing machine in a single day on April the 2nd at the F48 gym in... Uh, no, F45, Jim, 48. 45. 45, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got a client. I, I wondered if it was maybe some new... <laughs> Offshoot. ...new version of it. <laughs> um, he uh, He's going to, to uh, row there, and uh, what we're doing, he and I at the moment, are working together to try and, and approach as many of the uh, large corporate organisations in uh, WA, the mm. mining companies, etc. He has connections there, and... Um, I've got a variety of connections in different places and we're reaching out to everybody that we can and just putting out there the fact that we need some funds yep. um, to get back into delivering service. So uh, we are trying to get some major commitment from the, the, those big organisations in the short term because fighting the government to get them to provide funds is going to be a slightly longer battle. Yes. It is a battle that is coming. It is going to happen. But we, will, again, still need a bit of funding in the meantime just to keep the website running, keep the phone running. He is, is uh, redeeming him, his previous life uh, where he has hurt people uh, by putting it right and, and absolutely directly contributing back to Angel Hands yep. and to the community through Angel Hands. Um, but if there's any philanthropic uh, people out there who have got $10, who have got $100, uh, look, people can, can donate whatever their tax bill is because we're totally tax deductible. So they can give us the money instead of the ATO and uh, claim, claim that, that gift back. I mean, when you put it like that, <laughs> anybody and everybody can help. So yeah, we're looking for anything at the moment. And in fact, to, to do with the rowing, there is actually a, a, a website up called redemptionhealthfundraising.com.au. Yep. And if people go there, they'll see a video of, of uh, James Gillett, is, is the name of this uh, ex-criminal, uh, and now friend of mine. Yeah. Um, and the, the, one of the reasons why we're happy to support him, and, and he's you know, happy to work with us, is because he suffered trauma in his childhood. He, sure. had, he had trauma in his entire life, leading up to him, therefore, becoming a criminal. So 
it's absolutely appropriate for him to uh, re- receive help from us and guidance and support, which is what I'm giving yeah. to him. Yeah. And in return, he's redeeming himself by giving back to the community by raising some funds. Uh, John, thank you so much. A pleasure. For coming in and telling us all about uh, Angel Hands and sharing some of your uh, very personal story as well. Uh, and all I can say is uh, thank you for the work that you and Angel Hands have done and all the best uh, for your ongoing fight for survival and I hope you get to help as many people as possible. Thank you, Tim. Preferably people won't need that support, but we know that they will. Well, yeah, I'd <laughs> like to stop them going to hospital and representing yeah. there and their symptoms being misread and them being diagnosed and, and, and mm. prescribed pills Yes, to, to put their minds into a totally different state. Mm. Uh, it's not the answer. Get, no. Get to the cause of it. We can do that. Indeed. John, thank you so much. Thanks. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So... We doubled it. Chicken and Maccas, together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.